0: Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is two twenty three, two thousand and twenty two, and we're ready to begin our worship service this evening. We, we will begin with a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for this time we have together this evening. We pray that the time will be used wisely and with the most care, so that we can come away knowing you better as a result. Thank you for those who have joined us. We pray for wisdom as we focus our attention on your word tonight and the, the verse that is before us. Father, we pray for word is truth. Uh, we also pray for our extended family. Uh, we know you, you know the thoughts that are on the hearts of each and every individual. So we pray for, for them. And we ask Father that as we begin our study that you will, guide and direct us by your spirit. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, all right, so, amen, amen. So generally, as you know, uh, our study is uh, in Romans on uh, Wednesday evenings. Uh, we are we happen to be in Romans chapter 10 and verse 14. So um, if you've missed previous studies in Romans and others, All of those can be found on our website, wordistruth.com. So whatever you've missed, whatever you'd like to go back to and review, it's all there. Uh, We have uh, an extensive uh, audio library. So take some time to check it out, wordistruth.com. All right, so we are focused... Uh, our, attention, our attention is focused on Romans 10, 14. By the way, there will be a Q&A session after we complete what we want to go over in uh, this verse. So if you have questions or thoughts or ideas, anything at all, uh, reserve those until the end and we will have opportunity to ask and, and to voice your, your concerns. So let's take some time right here now uh, to go into Romans. Now you should have some notes. Romans chapter 10 and verse 14. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in, in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? The Apostle defends God's process of using Israel as his priest nation to the world. It is obvious that they failed in this role, as we can easily see from the Old Testament. We should know that Israel will fulfill God's plan for them. Quote, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as, the tes- as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Matthew 24 and 14. Many today do not think of the nation Israel as the evangelist to the world. This calling will not be realized until the tribulation unfolds. And when you think, um, if you think about Israel, and this is just as an aside, today, no one I think would think, oh, Surely Israel knows the way to salvation, and if we follow Israel, we'll be saved. I don't think many in the world think that, especially Gentiles. Um, for Israel has a different view in the world, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that. So let's dig in, and I think we got three or four phrases that, at least we broke this out into, uh, I think, three phrases. The First one is, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? So the first thought is everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Why am I quoting the previous verse? It's because this verse these verses sort of dovetail they go together. so we want to make sure we understand uh, how can so, so the, the verse is how can they call on uh, the, the Lord right? Well, what do you mean call on the Lord? Well, the previous verse said everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the thought. How can they call on him who they have not believed in? So we we want to discuss that. I just wanted to put that in context so that we understand how Paul is going through this. It pretty much reads together, and that's what I want to make the point. So... And then, if you even go back another verse to the previous verse—not just verse thirteen, but verse twelve—Paul makes the point that this refers to Jews and Gentiles. Now, we already looked at the verse in its native format, you know, in the Old Testament, and we saw um, there it, where it was quoted in Joel and other places. Uh, it was more of a deliverance verse. It wasn't necessarily given. I think we looked at it from the standpoint of Isaiah 28, but there's another one in Joel. But it was more about deliverance, Israel being delivered. And all they had to do was call on the name of the Lord. But Paul takes that thought and uh, decided he wanted to use it for salvation. And obviously, you know, our context is salvation. So Paul uses Old Testament passages to teach New Testament principles principles that are related to things that they should have understood about salvation and they did not. So we're going to see some very interesting things going forward in Romans about Israel and these passages in particular. So point B in our our notes, primarily the apostle is saying that Israel should be preaching the good news to the world of Gentiles. And he says, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? Well, uh, who's the people here? He's primarily talking about Gentiles, right? And how can they call on him if they haven't believed? So this is sort of like what we uh, saw earlier in terms of how Israel was supposed to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. But what did Israel do? (laughs) Uh, Israel hoarded it. They, they, They kept it to themselves and they did not uh, go out and evangelize the world that was a failure of israel so this this point is saying primarily the apostle is saying that israel should have been preaching the good news to the world of gentiles he will detail the plan for israel as he unfolds it from the result notice in reverse so he could say he could say it like this Israel is God's preaching nation to the world this is God chose them for that purpose so Israel is to go out and preach the gospel they're supposed to preach the gospel to the Gentiles and if the Gentiles believe the gospel they'll be saying you know we could say it that way but Paul is saying it from the reverse so let's go through these points just to show how that works so point one how can they call on the one so uh, uh, how can they call on the one this is to say that calling is a result of believing just as we saw in verses 9 and 10. This is Romans 10, 9 and 10 that is. This is in our chapter. So 9 and 10 we, we, we already spoke about how these are results. This is not necessarily everything in, in the gospel but it is our response to hearing the gospel. Verse 9 if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved, for it is with the heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess and your faith. Profess your faith and are saved. So, those two verses signified how um, the gospel was near Israel, just like the law was near them. They could have obeyed the law, but they chose not to. Paul is saying they should have believed in the Lord, but they also chose. Not to believe in the Lord and to call on Him when it came to salvation, and they, they refused to do it. So this is point one: How can they call on the One? And this is to say, uh, it, it, it is just like what they should have been doing—preaching the gospel, to, gospel to the Jews and Gentiles. All, all, they didn't do that, and as a result, they failed. Right? But if they had, they would have believed, right? Just like. It says so calling on the one is a result and what why would somebody call on the name of the Lord? It's because they believe in their heart. Right? That's that's the the thought of this. Point number two. How can they believe on the one they have not heard? Okay. So God called Israel to preach the one true God and Yahweh is we could Actually the, the correct pr- pronunciation of what they call the four letters, yh, uh, WH or VH, is uh, unknown. the actual pronunciation. <clears throat> Why is it unknown? Because the Jews refused to pronounce the what, what is they term the sacred, tetragrammaton tetragrammaton is a large word but it it only means the four letters don't get too bent out of shape about that so these four letters YHW or V it could be depends on whether it's German or English uh, rendering YHWH Yahweh so did not have the vowel points in there so we wouldn't know what the vowel points were. Whenever the Jews wrote that, they would just use those four letters. Those four letters are what the Jews said, oh, God's, we're not supposed to take God's name in vain. So they went to some degree where they refused to even speak the, the word. Uh, and, and thus, we lost the actual pronunciation of the word through history, we do, because... And they refused, even when they wrote the word, when they were doing copying, the copyists, they would only use a special pen to write those four letters. So it's an in, interesting story. If you ever have time and you want to study up or read up on some interesting things, uh, that's I thought was interesting how the Jews uh, guarded that word, Yahweh. And so, of course... Um, you, you've heard Jehovah's Witnesses, they, they have used different vowel points and they have used different letters to, uh, but why they say they're Jehovah or Jehovah's Witnesses is because they think they're accurate in uh, the way that word should have been pronounced, but they have to confess that they don't know it either, but uh, so... Anyway, so so God called on Israel to preach the one true God, and whenever you saw in the Old Testament capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, you would see uh, that underlying word that is translated Lord is Yahweh, which I call Yahweh. But um, so there was whenever you saw that in Scripture. You you knew that that word was invoked. Um, So Israel was, their job is to to go out and tell what his salvation is to the world. That was their job. They were the evangelists of the world and they refused to take that role. So God reveals specific information to Israel about his great salvation. Only Israel had this specific information. If you look at prior to that, Gentiles... They knew about the salvation. They knew that about the substitution. They had animal sacrifices and such. Uh, Abel believed in God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. There was also Enoch and others in the Old Testament. And these are just people that we, we know now, right? These are not uh, everybody, but these are notable ones that the Bible did decide that they would particularly point out. So... Um, God revealed this specific information to Israel about his great salvation. So it was up to Israel to then take that information and go out to the Gentiles. Remember, everybody was a Gentile to, to Israel. So uh, Israel came from the Gentiles. God created the Jew from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. From those genes, he created the racial identity of Israel. And that would be the 12 sons. Point number three, how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Okay, so just to review, how can they call on the one? Who's they? He's talking about the Gentiles. They can't. They're the last people to know, right? How would they know if if they haven't believed in him, right? So they haven't been taught to believe in him. And then point number two is how can they believe on the one whom they have not heard? So if... If they haven't heard about them, certainly they don't know anything about them, right? This is how the progression works. So God called Israel to preach to, to the Gentiles, right? And then point three, how can they hear without someone preaching to them? So who is supposed to preach to them? Well, it's Israel, it's, as we already have figured from what we already said, it's Israel. Instead of being God's messengers to the world, they adopted a policy. Of isolation and exclusion. So Israel thought instead of, well, you know, we got all this, uh, the law and all these particulars, all this ritual that God has put us through, and, and, and you know, we find uh, some spiritual uh, awakening through this ritual and all that we're doing. And look, the Gentiles have none of this. They're unclean. We can't even... Touch them, you know. We, we're not even supposed to associate with them. Uh, and on and on. Of course, they did anyway. They did what they wanted to do. But when it came to their policy in terms of witnessing to them, it was isolationism, exclusion. It's like the United States. What they called uh, what was it? The Monroe Doctrine. The Monroe Doctrine is an. Uh, it's a policy of, hey, we, we should only be thinking about the United States. Don't worry about other people, other nations. You know, Let them fend for themselves. We should be thinking only about U.S. Never mind. But the Moreau Doctrine had its problems, as you know. Uh, so that didn't prevail. But Israel had sort of that type of philosophy when it came to... Now, that'd be one thing if a nation had that, any nation... But for God's priest nation to the world to have that policy, where they would be isolated from other nations, they would exclude them, that is not a good thing. You know, it's like God told uh, Jonah to go to Nineveh. Jonah said, no, (laughs) I won't go to Nineveh. In fact, he went the opposite direction. He's going to go as far away from God's call that he possibly could. He whatever he did, he did not want to go and preach to these Gentiles, which he considered the most horrible people. But that idea, that exclusion uh, mentality continued through generations and generations to where it just became natural for Israel to be isolated. And so that that is where. Uh, A lot of Jews, because of their rituals and practices uh, that they have gleaned from the law, uh, obviously Gentiles don't do such things as they do and uh, from the law that they have. And uh, so there is, you know, this wall that is built up that it's a barrier. And obviously, as you saw in... um, Ephesians chapter 2, where it says God has destroyed the barrier, the wall of separation that was between Jews and Gentiles. He did that in the church. So the church, Jews and Gentiles, together are in one body. So whatever, the, and, and we're not under the law, so it doesn't matter when we talk talking law, right? That Those things that Israel thought uh, isolated them or gave them... Uh, preference oh you know to god and which it never did uh, were eliminated in the church point number four how can anyone preach unless they are sent so in other words we got all the way down to the sent part right so israel is sent this is a reference to god's calling and purpose for israel god his purpose for israel was to send them to the gentiles it's not just that jews would be saved and, and on top of that Jews were not even believing the message, the good news. So if you had the Jews not believing the very good news they're supposed to preach, that can't be good. So point number five. So this leads back to the detail of their Israel's, that is, calling. Right? So we see, let's just say it from the from forwards as Paul said it backwards. Israel is sent, Israel preaches, Gentiles believe. Gentiles call on the Lord, right? That's, that's the, pro, the, the forward order. Paul talked about it from reverse. This is what I meant when I said reverse. So we'll keep going. Okay, so point number two, and how can they believe in the one they have not heard? Now, even though we covered this point already, we did uh, in the previous five points. But we're going to go back over, since we're on this verse, let's focus on this a little bit more. So here it is. God's plan would not be realized through Israel's calling alone. He has other means to communicate. Israel's failure is not God's failure. So just think about it this way. God, If God planned his communication program to depend... On Israel alone, he failed because Israel failed. And Israel, if Israel was supposed to reach people that were not reached, then certainly uh, that would be a failure because Israel was disobedient. They themselves did not have the gospel message in many cases. So, God, we have to know that if God is saving people, uh, then that is his, his objective. Him calling Israel uh, on to for this particular task is not the only means that he has to save people. Uh, there's Old Testament scriptures that talk about uh, he, he will call the people who were not his people and so forth, right? So God's plan will be realized, right? It's going to be realized, and Israel's failure cannot stop it. So we're going to do some biblical work here. Right here to, to kind of illustrate this. Genesis 6, 3 is our first verse. Genesis uh, 6, let's read it. You, you know the verse. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. So notice, <clears throat> this is the antediluvian world. That means just means the pre-flood era. And in and, and this era, it's, God's spirit was working, fighting with human beings to, to get them to turn their hearts to the Lord, right? Now, now the Lord had already established the way of salvation. And um, it was through the substitutionary sacrifice. God was going to send somebody. You know, He already detailed that in Genesis chapter 3, how he would save mankind, Adam's fallen race. And sure enough, the spirit would have to go after people. So God didn't just say, okay, I'm, I'm just telling you, you, Adam, and you, Eve, about this. He had his spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, go out and convince inside of human beings uh, that this is the way. This is how you can be saved and to give each and every person opportunity to be saved. He did this in 120 years is to say that there will be 120 years before the flood came and wiped man off the earth. Well, except for those who believe and it happened to be only eight souls were saved. So our first verse demonstrates why am I bringing Genesis 6:3 to talk about the Nephilim or this or that? No, not talking about any of that. I'm bringing this to say that God the Holy Spirit was actively working in the Old Testament, right? In Old Testament times, God had a witness. It wasn't just, okay, um, no, I want you to preach to everybody. No, God was working behind the scenes trying to convince the hearts of men. But guess what? Their hearts were so evil, so stubborn, that none of them believed, even though they had the witness of Noah and they also had the witness of God, the Holy Spirit. And with and even still, only eight people were saved. So it was terrible during that time. And we could read verse five. The Lord saw. Now notice L-O-R-D there in caps. That is the sacred tetragrammaton. That's what they translated it with Adonai. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of human heart was only evil all the time. Evil is a representative of Satan's plan that they had sided with Satan. And, and that's the heart of the human heart, that is. So this is where uh, this antediluvian world, God is saying, I'm going to destroy the earth by flood. I'm just going to turn, so just to represent the Holy Spirit. We won't get too far down in here because there's a whole lot more we could talk about. So we'll we'll give it a time. So now go to Nehemiah is our next verse. Nehemiah. I bet you never turned there before. All right, so we're checking. uh, Let's get to that. Hold on. Let's get to Nehemiah. Here it is. So Nehemiah. In verses 9 or chapter 9, 23 to 31. So, why do I give this whole picture here? I just want you to see. So, we already covered the antediluvian world, Uh, we just want to make sure we cover all of it. So, I'll start reading verse 9 and 23 you made their children as numerous as the stars in the sky and you brought them into the land and told their parents to enter and possess so this is God's plan for Israel to possess Canaan right and so the second generation did it Uh, remember the first generation God punished in the desert but then it says their children went in and took possession of the land you subdued before them the Canaanites who lived in the land, you gave the Canaanites into their hands, along with their kings, the peoples of the land, to deal with them as they pleased. They captured fortified cities and fertile land. They took possession of houses and filled with all filled with all kinds of good things, wells already dug, vineyards, olive groves, fruit trees in abundance. They ate the fruit and were well nourished. They revealed uh, they reveled in the great, in your great goodness. So this is what they're, we're talking about when they entered the promised land. This is God has given account of this, but keep this in mind. Let's watch this. Verse 26, but they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They turned their backs on your law. They killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. They committed awful blasphemies. So you delivered them into the hands of their enemies who oppressed them. But when they were oppressed, they cried out to you. From heaven, you heard them. And in your great compassion, you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the hand of their enemies. But as soon as they were at rest, they again did what was evil in your sight. Then you abandoned them to the hand of the enemies, of their enemies, so that they ruled over them. And when they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven and in your compassion, you delivered them time after time. Verse 29, you warned them in order to turn them back to your law, but they became arrogant and disobeyed your commands. They sinned against your ordinances of which you said, the person who obeys them will live by them. Stubbornly, they turned their backs on you, became stiff-necked, and refused to listen. But for many years, you were patient with them. By your spirit, you warned them through your prophets, yet they paid no attention. So you gave them into the hands of their neighboring, of the neighboring peoples. But in your great mercy... You did not put an end to them or abandon them for you are a gracious and merciful God. I'd like to think as I read Nehemiah uh, that history shows a lot about Israel's uh, the heritage of Israel. What happened when they got in the land and it shows the progression of the falling into sin and, and God having to correct them and Many times he was merciful to them. So one, this is, I think, where part of this comes from at Acts. Notice the Spirit tried to turn them, but he was not successful. And then Acts 7.51 is where I think Stephen was reading or knew about. This is what he says, which you've heard many times. You stiff-necked people. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. So why, why? And then it talks about how they persecuted the prophets. Same as what we saw in Nehemiah. But why am I talking about this again? What's the point here? That the Spirit was actively involved in turning those Israelites to God. And Israel refused, refused, it, it, it became a pattern of resistance for this people. And you saw their ups and downs, and you saw why. Part of it is because they refused the Spirit. They refused to be saved. And and this is, as I said, that pattern of resistance. So we have from the beginning of the world, the Spirit was working. Right? We saw Genesis 6-3. And we are seeing now, through the generations of Israel, it's for Stephen to come all the way to the New Testament, the first century, and talk about the Jews. And just like their ancestors, developed this pattern of resistance. So now we're seeing that, um, for sure, it, there was this pattern of resistance. And this is all under the heading, uh, how can they believe in the one they have not heard? How can they believe in the one they have not heard? So uh, point B, this shows the heart of God to partner with man and call us in his efforts to bring the gospel. And that's what we are called to do. And I've just got one verse, 1 Corinthians 9.23 here, that you uh, probably know as well. 1 Corinthians 9.23 says, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share. I may share in its blessings. So what, what Paul is saying is there is a tremendous blessing in being able to share in the work of the gospel. Not everybody gets, uh, like he says in, uh, I think it's 1 Corinthians 3, one man plants, another man waters. But you know what? All of this is the work of the gospel. It is a joy when you see people come to the Lord. And there, there is certainly a blessing for us in this when we see people who are lost and who have no understanding of God's grace or his mercy, when they finally come to him and realize who he is and what his salvation is all about, and they just simply put their trust in the person of Christ. It is amazing that we see this process where a person goes from one extreme to the other, and then they are saved. So 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20 as well talks about, uh, let's just go 5, 18 through 20. All this is from God. This is right. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Uh, The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. And then our verses. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of Reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So just like Israel, it was committed to them that people, they were to go out and preach the gospel to Gentiles. So those Gentiles will be reconciled to God. It is upon us now to go out and preach the message to the world Uh, And it's not just to Gentiles, but to Jews as well. And we are those ministers of reconciliation. And God has given us this ministry. And we are therefore God's ambassadors. Verse 20, as though God were making his appeal through us. Isn't that what we talked about Israel? God is appealing to the nations through Israel. Now he is appealing to the nations through us. Point C, God's communication plan is perfect in the person of God the Holy Spirit that's what we have to know and I, I have to read it John 16 8 through 11 we, we covered this recently in our Sunday uh, series so 8 says when he comes that's when the God the Holy Spirit comes and we know when that is that is Pentecost it's not a mystery it's Pentecost he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. So three things. So when the Holy Spirit is going to come, he has a ministry. And the ministry is not necessarily to the disciples. The ministry is to the world. And why to the world? Wasn't he doing this before? Yes, he was. We read about it in the Old Testament. But he is now uh, performing this ministry because there's new information that's out there. This new information is who Christ is, the fact that he died on the cross, and all those details point to that this is the one. He is the Christ. He's the one that the scriptures had uh, prophesied would come and all of that. So uh, the Holy Spirit now has specific information about uh, the one that they believed in, that they didn't know exactly who it was, but they put their trust in, in the promise that God would send a a Messiah, a Savior of the world. And they put their trust in him. They didn't know who it was. But now that we have more information, God is able to tell us. And so what does the Holy Spirit do? He says, I'm upgrading my information to the world. So here it is, what he goes out. And he says, it's about verse nine, about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer and about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So we, we dealt with that whole thing when we went through John. So uh, if you want a refresher, go back and look at those, uh, those recordings where we covered those points. So that was uh, So now we're at this last one, and this is point number three. How can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can they? So, the thought is, uh, first thought is, I love Isaiah's response, but do you know the context? And this is Isaiah 6, 8 through 13. Let's go there. Isaiah 6, 8 through 13. I'll take some time. I hear pages turning. (laughs) No, not really. Isaiah chapter 6. Now, this is a very common uh, passage. If you would like, Uh, There is context that is before this as well. Isaiah talks about, I am ruined, verse 5, or I am a man of unclean lips. Um, I I live among a people with unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And this is what uh, Isaiah is saying, he's not worthy. But then God does work, and then this is what we have in verse 8. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, here I am, or here am I, (laughs) here I am. Here am I, send me. So But now this is what most people read and they just leave the rest and they talk about go witness and all that. But let's just read a little bit further what happened. Why did God call Isaiah in this particular reason and purpose? He says, verse nine, he said, go and tell this people be ever hearing, but never understanding, be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make your make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, for how long, Lord? And he answered until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. And though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the, the terebinth and the oak leave stumps, when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land i just wonder if people who quote that verse understand what is actually being said there what is isaiah what he's talking about send me wow if you have to go and preach a message and the reason he's saying that people will be always listening but never perceive it it's because he knows that they're going to reject it and this message is going to be a witness against them what's god what's god going to do as a result of their stubborn and recalcitrance he's going to destroy the land and this people right we saw it all right here they'll be carried far away and are slaves and so forth so it is horrible what's going to happen but that is the context of isaiah 6 8 through 13 it's a lovely verse and i love his response and is powerful but just note it's in the context of judgment. Point B. What happens when those who are sent to preach the good news have not believed the good news themselves? So that's one thing Isaiah was prepared. He said, Lord, send me. Like, really, that's like Israel is supposed to be the one sent. But but Isaiah's response was, I'll go. Look, send me. Right? Well, what about if Israel is supposed to go and preach the gospel to as a nation to the Gentiles, right? And not just preach the gospel, but but by their ways and their feast days and their holy days and everything about them is supposed to to speak the gospel, right? It, it is not only what they say is how they function is to let the world know what God's plan of salvation is, who God this own this one true God is, right? So this is. Uh, So think about what happens when those who are sent to preach the good news have not believed the good news themselves. Back to Romans for for these next Romans chapter 10. How do we know this? 10 verse 1, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. So Israel, they, they were supposed to preach the gospel. They're supposed to bring salvation, but they themselves are not saved. That can't be good. That cannot be good. Uh, and then verse 16. What What about verse 16? What, why did I put that? But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. That's, as we are going to see in our context, we'll get to this verse. They didn't, not all of them accepted the good news. In other words, they themselves were supposed to be the priest nation. They didn't believe. So then for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? No, Isaiah here, is in 53 verse 1. Who has believed our report and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? So Paul is given, quoting the fact that, yeah, Israel themselves got a problem with the Messiah. They're not going to believe in him. They're not going to trust in their own Messiah. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. So it is a fact. It's got to be bad when the, the people who are supposed to give the gospel don't know the gospel. You know, it has a familiar ring uh, in this age we're living in as well. <laughs> if we think about that very thing, the people who are supposed to be giving the gospel, oftentimes you find they don't know the gospel. Point C, let's move on. Since Israel temporarily failed at their calling. I say, what I say temporarily failed? is because we know God will call Israel again. They, God is not finished with them. You read how many times he was merciful and God always restored them and so forth. I don't think he, he won't again. God Does God currently have a witness in this world? In other words, is did, did the gospel fail in all of this? No, he does have a witness. Yes, it's the church. So if I read Romans 11, 25 through 29, so that is our next big uh, hurdle is to, when we get to Romans 11, there's some pretty good chapter uh, verses. Oh my gosh, we got to really take our time with Romans 11, and we will. It should be, uh, I would say, rewarding as we go through there. Romans eleven twenty five. 25, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters so that you will not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. Come in where? Come in the church. That's why. That's where. And then, and then this way, once the full number of the church age is complete, he says, all Israel will be saved. And then um, he tells you how. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness. No, Israel won't be saved with the godlessness that they have now, but he will turn godlessness away from Jacob. Notice Jacob was prior, Jacob's sons became Israel. But notice he's saying away from Jacob because it's like Israel is not Israel at this point. And then he says, and this is my covenant with them. In other words, God has a covenant with these people. I don't think that they just are, Israel is, have no consequence to God. God has a covenant with them when I take away their sins. And these are unbelieving Israel, but God called them for a specific purpose and he will fulfill that purpose. But listen, it doesn't give them any credit for salvation because, like Paul said in Romans 3 9, are we, and he says, we Jews, are we any better? No. God has uh, declared that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. So, so when it comes to that, there is no one righteous, there is no one who does good, not even one. All of that, God is saying, for, as far as salvation is concerned, you got to come through the same door as everyone else. There is no exception, just because you, you have the genes of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's, and verse 28, as far as the gospel is concerned... In other words, preaching the gospel, being those who witness the gospel, they, uh, Israel, are enemies for your sake. Notice, so if you didn't know that there was two callings, well, well, not two callings, but that salvation is different from our particular calling. If you didn't understand that point and you read verse 11, 28, it, it, it tells you directly, here it is again. Let me just read it as far as the gospel is concerned. Now, what do you mean the gospel is concerned? The gospel is different from from the call and the results here are different. Now watch, as far as the gospel is concerned, what's Israel, what's the result? They're enemies for your sake. In other words, Israel hates the gospel and they're gonna be your enemies. But you would think, okay, if, if, if the whole thing was about just the gospel, well, then we could say Israel is an enemy, period. But it is not all about the gospel. It is about our calling. So as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. Who are they loved by? By God. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. So that's the call of God, the sovereign election of God to, to the Israel. To Israel, God promised, made promises, he covenanted with these people, And he will fulfill his word. But that is not the same as salvation, right, for Israel. As you saw, as far as the gospel is concerned, they're enemies. That one verse is key to me to help us identify the difference between salvation and the calling that we have received. So point D. Okay, so this is our closing point. I just want to make sure you get this. Don't fall asleep on this point. So the church takes the baton in this role. So what happens while Israel is enemies for the gospel? Does does the world just not have the gospel? Is there any hope in the world at all? Yes, the church now grabs the baton. This is a track metaphor here. And just look at these verses. Matthew 16, uh, here we go, 17 through 19. Okay, Matthew 16, 17 says Jesus replied and this is you've heard this what Jesus says uh, what do people say who who do people say the son of man is and you know so 17 Peter had the right answer in verse 16 you are the Messiah the Christ the son of the living God right he he, that was perfect answer right so Jesus replied in 17 blessed are you Simon son of Jonah for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Right Now, Peter is a small stone. That's what the, uh, the, the, the name means. But on this rock, not on you, Peter, but on the rock of your confession that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, I will build my church. The church is not built on Peter like the Catholic Church is saying that Peter is you know the first Pope that is incorrect. If anything, it would be Paul. If there was a Pope, there is no Pope period. Uh, there, that is not a spiritual gift. The, uh, you know uh, prophets, apostles, Pope, no, no Pope. All right So in this regard, what he's saying, but that's not the point of me. I just want to make sure we know that the church is not built on Peter, but it is built on Peter's confession. How do people get into church? Peter's confession. Not Peter. And how, and is it Peter anyway? No, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. is Peter is just the vessel. So it has nothing to do with Peter. It has something to do with Peter's confession. And then... Here, this is the verse I was trying to get to, right? Verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. He's you. He's not just talking about you, but he's talking about the church here, the one he's going to build, right? I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. We are the body of Christ, right? If people come to us and uh, we preach the gospel to them and they are saved. That Well, that salvation is not just something that is on a local earth, but God establishes it in heaven, right? We have the authority of God from him to go out and preach the good news. We, just like we read in the other verse, God has commissioned us, we are ministers. He gave us this ministry of reconciliation. We are therefore God's ambassadors. Right? That's the same thing rural Israel had. However, they failed miserably. They refused to believe the gospel, the salvation by grace. So it didn't work out well for them. Oh, last verse before we get to our Q&A, so stand by. First, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, 4, and 5. Let's just read it. 2 Timothy chapter 1, 4, and 5. Uh is this the one? Oh this is this is not the right one. Oh well one in every bunch, right? So let's see if it's first Timothy one, four and five. That was not good. Wait, stand by. Let's see if I can't find this verse. Uh, that verse is missing. Uh, we, we might, I don't know where that verse is. I will find it. While we're doing our q and I will dig it out for you where this verse is. But while I'm looking, we will begin our Q&A. So uh, this verse also confirmed just to note that uh, we as a church were given the authority uh, of God, from God, to go out and be his ministers of reconciliation. We'll, we'll get to that. And if anyone can help me look that up, that's fine. Get one of these every time. All right, so uh, we're going to pause and we're going to do some Q&A. So if we we have a little bit of time and the floor is open for Q&A, so let Q&A is uh, the floor is open, go right ahead, if there are questions or thoughts. I will pause. Uh, I have one question. Sure, Bill, go right ahead. Uh, so we know, we probably had this question before, and God said that on account of the patriarch, all Israel will be saved. So we know there are some that are going to go to the lake of fire, correct? Uh, there are some what, Bill? Um, could you repeat that? There are some that will go to the lake of fire because they did not believe. Oh, Israel. Yes, Israel. absolutely. Yeah, there's no question about that. Yeah, no question. That is, So when he said all of Israel will be saved, he, he, he made consensus. No, he's he's referring to the fact that uh, Israel will be back in in action. In other words, all Israel. Another just like we saw, for instance, uh, there's going to be twelve thousand from the tribe of this, and 12,000 12, from the tribe, like in Revelation chapter seven. We saw all that, right? What does that to say? Um, oh, okay. Hold on, I did find the verse. It's in Second Timothy 4, 1 and 2. Hold on. Just please correct your notes. Second Timothy 4 and... How did I do that? Mess that up, but that's okay. 1 and 2. So hold your thought, Bill. Let's just read, that, read this for a second. It says, In the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct rebuke and with great patience and careful instruction. So why do I read this verse again? It is because I wanted you to see the gravity of what God has given the church, like in the presence of God and in Christ Jesus and who will judge the living and the dead and then view of his appearing in His kingdom, I give you this chart. And what are we to do? We're to go out and preach the word, right? If we kept reading, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Here it is. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge your du- the du- all the duties of your ministry. So there it is why I brought that verse, I just wanted to say. So, sorry, we're going to go back to your question, Bill. So when he says all Israel will be saved, in other words, God will have an Israel on board now. Before, like right now, Israel is, you might say, is asleep. Or God has uh, paused Israel. Or like like it says in our verse in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, Israel is how does it say it? Israel eleven twenty five, right? So it says, I do not want you to be ignorant away. Uh, Israel has experienced a hardening in part, right? So why do we say in part? Because not all the people in Israel um, did not believe in Christ. But most of them did. The leadership did. They refused I and mean, they rejected Christ, but, but there were some who believe. And Paul points out that hey I, I was one who believed in the, right in the beginning of the chapter. So, uh, so, but all Israel being saved is after the rapture, where God will regather Israel, and He will bring them to faith, and there will be twelve thousand from each tribe. Because we're talking Israel, we're talking about the twelve tribes, right? So, twelve tribes will come back in force, and God will uh, then again, because the church will be gone at this point. God will have his witness. Who will be his witness? Israel. And what what is what are some of the verses? And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. And that's the tribulation, right? We, we've talked about that. Uh, so in the tribulation is where Israel will shine. And you know, those in Israel, we read in Revelation, they will have... The testimony of Jesus, and they will keep the law. They will be back under the law, but they will also be under the new covenant. This is my covenant with them when I shall take away their sins and so forth. So, yeah, that's what it means by all Israel will be saved. Doesn't mean everybody who is in Israel will be saved. It just means that those that God will have his witness on earth. But this time, everyone in Israel will be saved. The, all those who uh, make up the nation Israel will be saved, and remember, there will also be one hundred, the hundred and forty-four thousand. Right, that's where you get the twelve thousand from this tribe, and those twelve thousand are saved individuals, which was different from the Israel of old, where they were racially distinctive, but they were not coming through the gospel. So the difference in the church you're not in the church if you're not saved but in israel all you had to do was have the genes of abraham isaac and jacob and be circumcised on the eighth day and of course god expected you to believe but that didn't necessarily happen and what happened at the end god uh, israel rejected the messiah when he came to his face so i'll pause bill does that make sense got it yeah thanks for the question that's a great question by the way because what does it mean by all Israel will be saved right we know all Israel is not going to be saved but what does he mean that's a great question other thoughts out there all right quiet tonight I will take that as uh, that we're gonna close. All right, so I will, we, will, we will end this session. Uh, last call, other thoughts, other questions that uh, you may have. All right, we will end this session and let's end with a word of prayer. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father. We thank you so much for the time we've had this evening, and we pray that as the things that we've discussed, that they were clear, that we came to know you better as we focused our attention on your word, as that is our calling, to focus on your word and to not only to let all men be saved, but all men come to the deep knowledge of the truth. So the message that you have given us, the message that has been hidden from ages and past generations, that is the message that should be on our lips as we go out into the world. Not only the gospel, but as we teach, as we focus our attention on the spirit of truth and what is truth? Your word is truth. So Thank you so much for the clarity of of these things. We pray for each and every individual who is under the sound of my voice we pray that they will have the wisdom that was destined for our glory before time began all this we ask in christ's name for a sake amen amen